Welcome to the Faith Element Podcast for the May 29, 2022 session, focusing on Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 21. Coming soon. I'm David Cassidy. I'm Nikki Hardiman. And I'm David Adams. Well, we are we're shorthanded today. <laughs> it's me and Dave and Nikki. Welcome back, David. Thank you. It's good um, to see you. <laughs> we um we are missing Bert and Daniel, who both uh, have had things come up that have taken them away for these uh, this episode and the next one. But um, but hey, you know we've got quality here, right? So absolutely, quantity is not an issue. We quality anyway. <laughs> there, there is a quality, a quality <laughs> present. So I have a, a for a lead-in question today. I think something we've not discussed before. I, I don't recall that we've discussed this. Can you still come up with new questions? <laughs> you know, there's a, just about an endless supply. <laughs> of course, there is. <laughs> <laughs> Some people enjoy cleaning things. You know, washing things, cleaning, cleansing, and so. I'm curious, is there something that you particularly enjoy cleaning? Like the process of cleaning? Well, whatever, sure. Or the after effect? What, whatever whatever gets you excited about it. <laughs> so I'm going to go with my kitchen sink. When my kitchen sink is clean, I feel like everything else can get clean. And so it always brings a lot of satisfaction and motivation um, when I get my kitchen sink all clean. All right. I'm going to go with pots and pans. Ooh, related. Everything but the kitchen sink. Everything but the kitchen sink. <laughs> well, well, I've got these really shiny, you know, Emerald Lagazi autographed pans. Okay. And they're really shiny, shiny. And the inside of the pans, because they're so shiny, shiny, they get really dull and have marks and stuff in them. That it's almost impossible to get out. And we've discovered the only way to get them out is to put in water mixed with vinegar and let it sit there for about an hour. And then they come out like they're brand new again. And it's it's sort of like doing chemistry all over again, which is kind of fun. Are those That's stainless cool. steel? Uh, no, they're aluminum sandwiched with copper. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay. Ooh, okay. On a similar note, I won't make this all about cleaning, but one of the best ways to clean your microwave is to put a bowl of water and vinegar in it and turn it on for about five minutes and then Everything that's gone there just wipes right out. Wow. That's very satisfying. That's an easy way to do it too. It is. It's it's so fast. Mm. Well, for me, it's it's cars. I I like hand washing our cars, and so rarely do we go through a car wash because I'm always worried about micro scratches and all that. So I'm I'm very particular about the kinds of cloths, and I have a separate bucket for the soapy water and another bucket for the rinsing water. So you don't get grit on there when you're, anyway. <laughs> so Nothing but, about that surprises me at all. <laughs> Not one thing. I love it. <laughs> and I'm overdue to wash both cars, by the way. <laughs> well, so, it is pollen season there I, where you are, isn't it? It is. It is. And, and, uh, and it's also graduation season. But as soon as all that passes, <laughs> I'll be out there. I, it's just therapeutic. There's not many things in my life yeah. that are tactile. And so mm -hmm. it's satisfying. Well, we have our last session in Revelation today. Yeah. And so, David, would you help us get started with this one? Sure. Here we go. When I was growing up, I always thought that my sister was a weirdo. 
Her husband listens to these podcasts, so he can quote me on that. I'll admit that a lot of guys grow up thinking that their sisters are weird, and vice versa, but mine had this strange habit of reading books the wrong way. We were a family of very heavy readers, you see, and her preferred method of reading a book was to check the ending first, then decide whether she wanted to put in the effort to read the rest of it. There are likely countless books that never passed mustard and never got read. And though I can appreciate the efficiency of not wasting time on prose that is not going to take her where she wanted to go, I also wonder how much she missed. I don't know that she streams videos like that these days. It sounds like too much of a hassle. But I'm pretty sure that she's not like the rest of us and not wanting to have someone relay spoilers for things we haven't watched yet. And these days of internet access and social media, you have to be really careful not to have your movie experience ruined by the kinds of people who have no problem talking about movies before the rest of us have a chance to see them. It has almost gotten to the point where you can count yourself fortunate indeed if you can watch an eagerly anticipated show without having some spoiler information in your head. I can't count the number of major motion pictures that have led me to dodge people left and right in order to avoid unwanted advanced information. It's almost as bad as those nights where you might record a sporting event so you can go out and attend to other concerns, only to have someone run up to you raving about what you're missing. So if you ever want to talk to me about some entertainment or sporting event, and it looks like I'm trying to avoid you, please don't take it personally. I just don't want to know what you have to say yet. One of the most important parts of stories, to me, is the ability to identify with protagonists and their struggles. I want to suffer or celebrate vicariously with them. I want the chance to ask, how are you going to get out of this situation? I want to live in the suspended now, where I don't know what's going to happen, even as I know that the story is taking me someplace, whether I ultimately like it or not. Our scripture for today contains the ending to the trip that John took us on in the book of Revelation. If you've walked along with us so far, you've heard John call out the seven churches in Asia Minor, and likely your church as well. He retreated to vivid imagery and symbols as he worked to slip a message past the rulers of his day, telling his audience that earthly leaders aren't really so important. The lamb is the only one who really counts. You heard a good word to people who are oppressed and suffering, telling them to hang on and work toward a day when such oppression will end, and painting vivid pictures of what creation could be for those who can hear what he really means and can endure the numerous temptations to give up and give in. So here we are, at the end of this journey. John reminds us that the world to which they might look forward is a lot closer than they think. Yes, this very likely reflects the early church's belief that Jesus would return during their lifetimes. But as we read ourselves into the scriptures, the message still holds true for us. Heaven is coming for us and sooner than we might expect. Verse 12 sounds a lot like one of my favorite t-shirts, which says, Jesus is coming, look busy. But once you get past the humor of that, there's an uncomfortable truth. When heaven comes to us, what might we be found doing? Will we have washed our robes, 
which other manuscripts translate as kept his commandments? Or will we be seen as people who take advantage of each other and practice falsehood? I like how various translators have rendered verse 15 in different ways. They had more courage than we seem to have today, when it might be more appropriate to say, there are some murderous curs outside who sell themselves to take advantage of others and lead them to false paths. For all we've tried to take John and bring him into our nice, safe, privileged world, he still wants to bite people in power and stand up for those who have no power and little voice. It seems fitting, then, that at the very end of our shared adventure, he brings back the bride language one more time to remind us of how important everyone is in God's eyes. If you're weird, like my sister, and you have skipped to the end of the book to see if it was going to end out and you know turn out in a way you liked, I can call your attention to the fact that God calls to everyone who hears God and wishes to take the water of life, offering it freely. It's not the province of any special group or any great person. It's a free gift granted to all who seek it. The powers of the first century world could not deny it any more than the powers of this one. We are all expected to live as people who belong in the new vision of heaven, whether in this world or the next. We are all expected to cry with those seeking God's rescuing grace, even while understanding that God will wipe away those tears. We are all expected to turn away from those who would take advantage of other people for some temporary reward or hollow feeling of power. All of that makes this sound like a really good ending. So those are some thoughts about the scriptures. Thanks for that, Dave. I have two thoughts that come to mind immediately. One is, I was always taught, particularly in preaching, that how you begin and how you end a sermon, that's some of the most important parts of building a sermon. Because if you capture people's attention on the front end, and then if you also wrap it up in a way that is memorable and impactful on the end, it may or may not matter as much. It does, but not as much, uh, you know, what happens in between. So that, that came to mind in part because it is interesting how the scriptures are bookended, so to speak, by the activity of God. Of course, God is active all the way through Scripture, but we do pay attention to how it starts and how it ends. The other the other thing that comes to mind is, is kind of a tangent, but when you said your sister reads books the wrong way, so I was on an airplane recently, <laughs> and the lady next to me was reading a book. Have I told y'all this? And so she was reading a book, but doing it in a way that I had never seen before. And I'm pretty sure it was the wrong way. But so she had taken her, the, the spine off of the book. So she had basically pages that were only held together by a little bit of glue that was left. And she would read, oh, she, excuse me, she would tear four or five pages off of the, the book, hold those loose pages in her hand. And then when she got finished reading those three or four pages, she would rip them up, put them in a bag, and then tear off another four or five pages and read those. And then it, that, that process complete uh continued so it really has nothing to do with anything but i couldn't help but think of it when you <laughs> did, did, i have so many questions did you speak uh, to that, her? now we have questions i had questions so no she she didn't seem real interested in speaking with those of us around her so i left her alone but okay. i did pay attention i thought it was 
That's very interesting. Tad OCD. <laughs> Just a little. <laughs> okay. I might have to cut that and out. Listen, <laughs> no shame on your sister. I am a person who can thoroughly enjoy a book or a movie, even if I know the ending. I've always been able to do that. And so when people are like, oh, I don't want to give you a spoiler. I'm like, I don't care. Just tell me what you're going to tell me. Because I don't care if I get a spoiler. Um, but I do work very hard to remember that other people are not the same that I am. And that most people in the world, that I am in a minority um, of people who don't like to have spoilers. But this text in Revelation, David, thank you so much for... Um, helping us to engage with the text. As I read the text, I found myself sitting with how anyone who is thirsty can come and draw from the tree of life um, or the, the, the river of life. And that that's really the only thing that's required is that you have to be thirsty and want something to drink. And then you are welcome to come and drink from it. And I found myself sitting with that. Um, we spent a lot of time in the Christian world. Um, and this is Christianity of all stripes and makes and cultures talking about who's in and who's out. But here at the end, I don't see very much about who's out, except there is something about those who take away the words of this prophecy um, that seems to be something you should not do. But other than that, you just have to be thirsty. Yeah, it does, does make you question, how do we make the leap from all this stuff that came before when we were drawing fences? Mm -hmm. Putting up fences, drawing lines, saying, hey, you know, uh, these people are in, these people are out. If you're following, you do this. If you're not following, you do that. And now all of a sudden we're down to, no, nah, all you really have to do is want it. Right. Right. And that doesn't mean everybody will want it. Right. But all you got to do is want it. Yeah. Um, I, I think that is, as I sat there and, and thought about all the ways that we have creatively thought to keep people out. Um, I've heard all kinds of things in the different churches and congregations I've been a part of and the different theologies that I have read. We are, we have an endless, we have as many ways to think of keeping out people out of heaven as David does beginning questions. And so I think that it's telling that that may say something about us more than it says anything about God and God's intentions. Next, the next Sunday, not this one that we're looking at now, but the next Sunday was Pentecost. And we'll be talking about the birth of the church. But I can't help but think about the nature of humans and how that affects the way we have done church, at least across the last several hundred years. And I do feel like we are at a time that is certainly tumultuous, certainly uh, divisive, but also a time where partly because of the pandemic, partly because of just our exhaustion with the way things are, that there, there feels like there's more openness to rethinking some of the aspects of how we are together as Christians than perhaps there have been in, in previous times. 
And I keep, I, I was writing someone yesterday and we were corresponding about an article we had read and, and I couldn't help but reflect that, you know, one of the things as an old guy I, I do is watch young people and, and wonder which among them is going to be a voice or several voices that begin to help us see a new and better way of being people of God together. So Revelation, and certainly how we're wrapping up here, is calling us, I think, to think about how we are people together as a church. And um, yeah, and, and it's needed. Because as, as tumultuous as the time was when John was writing this, we are living in a time that is also full of upheaval stress and even danger yeah but but sometimes when you read books that try to address it those books themselves become perceived as being somewhat dangerous you know so we spent we've alluded to this several times during all the weeks talking about revelation about how people are scared by the book people don't go to the book people have been using it for wrong purposes things like this yeah but a real danger that creeps in also is in Verse 17, that is a very threatening passage, you know, because if you take it literally, you, you, you read that and you think, oh, it's saying that all you really got to be doing is looking. You don't have to look in a particular way. You don't have to follow a particular creed. You don't have to do any of those kind of things. You just have to want it. You wait until the last four verses of the Bible where you got to there. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, that reminds me, I mean, I was, I was. Uh, emailing with Burt Montgomery the other day about something. And he mentioned that as he had gotten older, the older he, he had gotten, the more simple his theology had become. Mm -hmm. yeah. And, and I got to thinking about that, that it's really true that we we're so adept at overcomplicating everything. And it's not that there's not nuance and depth to God's work in this universe. It just may be that we don't need to understand all of it. Right. Or act like we do. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the ways that that we make it difficult is that we we take it out of practice. Love your neighbor, love yourself, love God. Um, and that should happen in the ways that we behave with one another and with ourselves and relate to God. And we want to put a lot of rules on it or we want to put a lot of nuance in our understanding and we take it to the academy, right? And parse it out and look at the language, which is important. Like all of those things are important. It's good that we have people that do those things because it can reveal things um, that are not seen any other way. Um, but at the end of the day, if you love yourself, your neighbor and God, and you behave in that way, you're there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'm looking at this passage and I'm remembering what I said on this podcast months ago. And that is, because you reminded me of this, we still, as people of faith, have a problem chasing yabbits. <laughs> we'll, we'll see what the scriptures say, what they're telling us to do. And we'll say, yeah, but that's right. always our answer. Yabbits. Verse 17 is one of those things where we want to chase the yabbits instead of just listen to what the scriptures are trying to tell us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, but. Yeah. <laughs> no, <laughs> it just comes so easily right. to our lips. <laughs> yeah, but 
Well, and I think that's part of why Jesus puzzles us so. We, we read Jesus in the Gospels, and we see people coming up to Jesus with questions. And so often his way of responding is not to lecture for 30 minutes mm -hmm. or pull out a systematic theology, but to tell a story, tell a parable, or say, well, the greatest of the commandments are these two. <laughs> I mean, and that just stumps us because we want it to be more complicated. We and, really and do. High sounding. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. I remember a um, very vividly when I was a teenager, one of my best friends was a elderly farmer. Um, I was living in the metropolis of Hampton, Arkansas at the time, a town <laughs> with a population of 3,500, and that includes the dogs. And, <laughs> and, and But I, I, I was very active in church because my dad apart from also being the band director at the local school, was the music minister at the church and led the choir. My mom played the piano. So we were there every time the doors were open. And Grady was my friend. That's who I sat by in choir. And he and I both sang tenor. I can't do that anymore. But he he was just the sweetest man. And I remember going out to his farm. He would invite me to come out to his farm and we would just have fun out there eating watermelons or <laughs> riding on the tractors or the four-wheelers or whatever. And I mean, this man was, at the time, he had to be in his in his late 60s, early 70s. And he's running around with a teenager. But I think about that because when I think about some of the more formative experiences of faith and the church, I think about Grady because he didn't, he didn't, sit down and teach me about theories and complexities. He was just a loving friend that was church to me. Hmm. And and maybe it is that simple. Maybe, maybe it really is. Well, as, as we wrap up this time in Revelation, I, I have to say I've been surprised by it, that it has taken us places I didn't expect to go. It has had a relevancy about it that I did not expect it to have. Because like so many, and we've discussed this, you know, growing up, the distortions around the book of Revelation were dominant. And so actually trying to get a, a real look at it was hard. And yet, I think in our conversations over the last several episodes, it, to me, it has been revealed, one, that God cares about the suffering of people, and that we should too. And that John cared about the suffering of people and understood the power of hope and understood the power of imagining a future that could be so much better and that God was at work building that future and calling us, beckoning us to be part of that work here and now. And if we don't take anything else out of Revelation, <laughs> out of this conversation, I hope that those things stick with us because I do think they're incredibly important for us today in the sense in which we as individual Christians, but also as communities of faith, as churches, how much responsibility do we bear in a world that's still full of suffering and oppression, people who are left out, pushed out? How much responsibility do we bear in being John's and speaking a word of hope and having some imagination 
about God's work in our world now and the days ahead. Maybe a lot. Thank you all for this good conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Subscribe to the Faith Element Podcast on iTunes or Google Play. Learn more about our Faith Element Bible Study curriculum at faithelement.net. Faith Element is a service of Faith Lab.